Hey, my name is Kurt, and uh, I have not been galvanting all over the earth, but I uh, have been on vacation, and uh, my family and I were up on the border of Washington and Idaho, and uh, my kids asked me, he said, Dad, why do we come to a place called Hell's Canyon for vacation? <laughs> and I said, uh, because it's hot. <laughs> it's a good place. It's a good thing to have in Hell's Canyon. Hot. Uh, we camped on the Snake River, so Hell's Canyon, Snake River. Um, you know, you say, well, it's an interesting place to go. But one of the things we like to do on vacation is we like to raft. And uh, so we go to Target, Costco, wherever, and uh, I'm going to let the kids go before they hear any more of this story because it will scare you and you don't want to be scared. Thanks for being with us, kids. Thanks, Sharon for the sign. She was like, I'm like, bunt, uh, punt, what? What does that mean? So. Anyway, we are on this uh, on this river, and we like to, to go rafting. So we go to Target and buy these, you know, cheapo rafts. And, and then we just sort of drive along the river and see a place that might look good to throw it in and, and float on down. So we had gone down one river, uh, the Clearwater River, and it, it was pretty nice, but it was kind of tame. You know, so we're looking for something a little bit more exciting. So we started up the Snake River toward Hills Canyon, and we found some some pretty exciting places, you know, some white water and all. And and so we've got 15 of us, you know, my four kids, uh, two uh, two other cousins, an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old, and you know, so it's a bunch of us. My my mother-in-law, who's just had hip uh, replacement surgery, and none of us have life life preservers, right? So we're like, yeah, we just throw the rafts in. We're going down. And, I mean, the water's getting rougher and rougher and rougher. And pretty soon, I'm watching the, the, the raft in front of us just like waves like this on either side. And that's all they could see in this little raft in the middle. And I'm going, well, it didn't look that big from the road, you know. And uh, so we get through that. My wife's hanging on the front. My kids are all hanging on. My mother-in-law's hanging on. We get through, and, and we make it. And then there's some, 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 uh, some calm, calmer water, and the kids want to get it and swim. So I say, go ahead, kids, jump in. So they jump in, we're floating along, you know how it is, it's, it's great. And then all of a sudden, this little whirlpool goes by. And my nephew, 17-year-old nephew, goes, oh, cool, and you know, swims right over towards it. I want to get sucked down. That's a 17-year-old mindset for you, you know. Great. And what do my 10-year-old kids do? They go right after him, Right? Well, I find out later we're in this thing called Buffalo Eddy. Uh, that's E-D-D-Y, not E-D-D-I-E. And what it is is a place where the water swirls around, comes every which way, and pretty soon, although it doesn't look rough, my kids are swimming as hard as they can in one direction and not going anywhere. Meanwhile, I'm with the raft, and I'm floating down the river, right? And I start paddling, and I cannot get back to them. Well, by now, the kids are starting to panic because the water is comes off the glaciers and out of the mountains, and it's pretty cold. So now they're swimming. I'm going down the other direction, and I can't get to them. This week, as I was listening to Dave's message from last Sunday, I thought about search and rescue. Had a search and rescue helicopter come by right then, I would have flagged him down for all I was worth. So I got over to the side as fast as I can. I go clambering up the side to try to get to my kids. What a great picture of our state without Jesus. That we are 
we are shipwrecked. We're, we're, we're lost. We're swimming in place. We've got nowhere to go. And we're stuck without God. And Dave, as you were saying that last week, I just pictured in my mind trying to get back to my kids as desperately as I could. Next time, note to self, life jacket. <laughs> right? In fact, we got later on down the road and we were, we, I mean, we, we rescued everybody. We got back in the boats. The kids were crying and I was crying and, you know, we were hugging. We got on down the river and there's this guy in this 30 foot jet boat, right? There's jet boats all over the place. And this guy, and he's got a life jacket on. Every single person in his boat's got, you know, life jackets on. Like two or three of them, they're like, yeah, this is a dangerous rip on. Dude, you're in a 30 foot jet boat. I'm in this little target, you know, blow up thing. And, uh, and he kind of just shakes his head and goes, tourists, you know. But that picture that Dave gave last week of being rescued. Now, the great thing about this story is that now when we all get together, we've got a great story to tell, right? Oh, remember when we almost drowned, you know, one of those, one of those stories. That's, that's one of the great things about coming together as family. This was a family reunion. And it was one of those things when you get together with family, what, what it does is there's stories that weave you together. There's stories that you tell. A family gives you a place of identity. It gives you a place of, of, of footing, of solid, of solid relationships that you know are always going to be there. There's an ongoing adventure. There's an ongoing relationship that you're a part of. As we look at this next section in John chapter 1, it's where John describes, he begins the narrative. Now Dave took two weeks and went through this prologue of John chapter 1 because it sets up what's the story. Who's the story about? It's all about the Word. It's about the incarnation, this 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 magnificent Jesus who's come, who's the light. And so now we start this part about, about the, the, the actual stories. We're going to hear about Andrew. We're going to hear about Peter. We're going to hear about Nathaniel. And in this section today, we're going to hear about John. Now, John was a preacher's kid. We see here, and uh, we're going to start in, uh, in verse... Uh, let's see, where are we going to start? We are going to start... In verse 19, we're going to see this story about John. Now, John gets introduced in the prologue, but now we really jump into him. And we're going to find out more about him. We're going to, we've already heard that the Word of God has come into the world in the form of a man. Incarnation. We've already heard that, uh, that in him, in Jesus, is life and light. We've already heard that he gives mankind free access to God, to become children of God. We've already heard that he came to show us the truth. So now we get introduced to John the Baptizer. Now there's a couple of Johns in this book, so don't get confused. But this is John the Baptizer. The scribes and the Levites come out to check, what is this preacher's kid doing? Zechariah's son. They all knew him. Well, what's going on out there? And you notice that this happens in Bethany beyond Jordan. Not Bethany right by Jerusalem, but actually Bethany out in kind of the deserty places. Out there where there weren't a whole lot of people. But it says that all Jerusalem was going out to find out what is happening. And so there's a bit of an inquiry board that goes out to find out about him. Let's read in verses 19 through 21. This is a testimony of John when the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Sorry, I'm running my own PowerPoint here, so i got to get this going. 
There we go. Uh, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. I want to give you four questions about identity that are crucial that come up in this thing here. Because last week we talked about the Word, Jesus incarnate. And how does that intersect then with the lives of regular people around us? We're going to see next week these guys, fishermen. And now we see this preacher's kid, this prophet. And we're going to see what he says. The first question is this. What do other people say about you? These guys came and they started peppering him with questions. Peppering with questions about his identity. The first thing they ask him is, Hey, Jeff or somebody, could you run this? This is not working for me. I don't, I don't, I'm only have my learner's permit on this. I don't have my driver's license. So, alright, could somebody else do that? Thanks. <laughs> All right, I'll let somebody else take care of it. Thanks, Philip. First thing he says is, I'm not the Christ. Now you say, well, wait a minute. They didn't ask him if he was the Christ. And the reason is, they didn't have to. Messianic expectations at that time was running high. Everybody was looking for a Messiah. No one in the delegation has said, hey, by the way, are you the Christ? But he makes it really clear. He goes, I am not. Notice that it says, he confessed and did not deny and confessed. You get the point? He's trying to make it clear. It's not me. I know you'd like to have it be me, but it ain't me. I ain't the guy. According to Luke 3.15, others were wondering if he was the Messiah. For 400 years, the Jews had been looking for this deliverer. They'd been looking for this Messiah. They'd been looking for this one to come and to free them. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And again, think of where you've heard these words before. The people who walk in darkness... Next slide. We'll see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. I'm going to try again. Okay. All right. I'll let you guys figure that out. So that's what people were looking for. They wanted. They had an expectation. They were hoping and yearning for this deliverer. We're all familiar with Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Yeah, we read that at Christmas time, right? But the reason that it was important is because people were longing for deliverance. They had this expectation and this hope. And they were trying desperately to find somebody. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 64, Psalm 22. All the way back to the book of Genesis. This hope of deliverance. Now that must have sounded pretty good. I mean, can you imagine you're John and they're saying, oh, are you the one? I mean, normal human nature would probably say, well, yeah, I, I can rise up to that. Maybe I could be that. But he doesn't. Look at John's answer. He confessed, did not deny. It's an emphatic denial. In fact, he so completely rejects the claim that some people say that the use of a pronoun, he's saying, I am not the Christ, but he's coming. It's not me, but the next one is right there. Look at the second thing he says. I'm not Elijah. Are you Elijah? He says, no, not Elijah. Sorry, just go ahead. Oh, there you go. Not Elijah. Why would you want look for Elijah? Well, in the book of Malachi, there's a prophecy, again, 400 years prior. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, 
Before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, He will store the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. There's this expectation of Elijah coming. He says, no, I'm not. Which is really interesting because literally he is not Elijah. But at the same time, he is. Luke uh, chapter 1, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus talks about how he was one that was coming. He was preparing. He was a type of Elijah. Was he literally Elijah? No, he wasn't. Third thing is, he's not the prophet. Now, there's no reason to say which prophet. Because, again, these guys are schooled in the law. They know the Old Testament by heart, literally. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And I will raise up a prophet like you, and I'll put my words in his mouth. And they're thinking, okay, you're not the Messiah. Okay, fine. You're not the you're not Elijah, but maybe you're this prophet. And again, he says no. And John's answers are getting increasingly shorter and shorter. You can tell he's getting, he's getting impatient. He's not there to talk about himself. In fact, John would say, he must increase, I must decrease. Let's get off of me. Here's the application. When you think about identity, Are you, or am I, trying to live up to other people's expectations but ignoring what God thinks of us? People come along, oh, are are you this? Are you that? Are you this other thing? Tell me why you're important. And you know, if you're like me, you'll dream up something. (laughs) Real or imagined. You know, when we introduce ourselves to each other, hi, how how are you? Who are you? Well, I'm, here's my name. But, But who are you? We usually try to attach something of value, of worth, right? Oh, I'm a worker. I'm a student. I'm a musician. I'm a pastor. This is my job. This is my education. This is where I'm from. We get pressure that you really aren't somebody unless you know somebody famous, related to someone important, or you've talked to somebody glamorous. Have you ever done this? Hey, what famous person have you ever met? Like, that makes any difference about you. You know, I happened to be in an elevator at one time and I saw somebody. Well, who cares? But you think about the way the world works. And again, Dave's point last week about that there is a world beyond this seen world. But if this world's all you've got, man, that's it. That's all you can judge importance or value by is who you know and what you've done and where you've been. That's glamorous, important, or exciting. You aren't really anybody unless you've accomplished something great, been somewhere exotic, or met someone prestigious. You've got a a successful job, a well-decorated home, and wonderful, successful children. Who you are then becomes dependent upon success or failure in those areas. And we are sucked into the whirlpool, if you will, of that kind of a mindset. Remember what Dave said about the world? It's this mindset, this system that says, this is all, this is it. John, John, the baptizer comes along and says, I'm not, I'm not going down that road. I'm not going to buy that. But man, there is pressure on you. There's pressure on me. There's pressure on us to meet expectations. I was talking to a guy whose kids are grown now. And, uh, yesterday, and he said, uh, I said, well, what's so-and-so up to? And he said, well, you know, he's doing this kind of a job. And he kind of, you know, hmm. And I said, what? 
And he said, you know, God's been teaching me a lesson for my kids that it's more important that they love God, that they're, that they're people of integrity, that they walk with the Savior, than they've got some kind of title. And I just thought, wow, th- there it is from the perspective of a parent. I mean, how many of you parents have low expectations for your kids? <laughs> of course you don't. But are you going to look at your kid and love them less or value them less if they don't have X kind of degree or Y kind of job or Z kind of spouse? I hope not. That's the world. That's the mold of the world. Will you accept the world's definition for your success, for your value, for your importance, especially if you start to get it? Now, those of you who don't have anything, it's easy for you to say, no, no, I'm not going to buy the world system. But some of you have tasted a little bit of that. It's harder for you because you've been reaffirmed along those lines. You've been encouraged along those lines. You've been stroked along those lines. So, question of identity. Will you try to live up to other people's expectations but ignore what God thinks? Look at the second question. First question is, what do other people think about you? The second question is, what do you say about you? Look at verse 22. Now, at this point, the uh, board of inquiry is frustrated with him because he's not answering the way they want him to. And so they said to him, verse 22, Who are you so that we may give an answer to the ones who sent us? So, so these are just kind of the messengers, right? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet would say. Now, think for a minute what John could have said. He could have said, well, I am a cousin to the Messiah. That much is true. He could have said, well, probably don't know this, but I've had a miraculous birth, which is true. You could have said, he could have said that I was foretold in prophecy, which was true. He could have said, I was announced, my birth was announced by none other than Gabriel himself. Try to beat that one. He could have said, I'm a Nazarite from birth. He could have said a whole bunch of other things, but he didn't. John's function, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It's an obscure figure. It's just a voice. It's not a person. It's not a man. He's going right back down to what God has called him to do. The imagery is that of preparing a roadway by clearing it of all obstacles. Back in those days, roads were just, you know, ruts in the road. They were just um, mud paths. And so when a king or some royalty came, they would smooth the road out so, so there was no obstruction. Take all the big rocks out, right? And he says, that's my purpose. Talk about, is he Elijah? No. Is he a kind of Elijah? Yes, because that's what Elijah's ministry was. To this, to clearing of the way. To remove anything that would hinder someone from accepting the king when he comes. That was his place. That was his calling. And he knew it. Jesus and John had the same message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Understand what the world is really about and how it works and and be ready for the Messiah when He comes. John had one function and one function only and that was to point men to Christ. Some of you know Ron Sanchez. Some of you don't. Ron Sanchez is one of those guys who is a sound man. Now, sound men don't like to have attention, right? Because when the sound man is doing his job right, 
Nobody notices them. Right? AV guys too. Sorry, Jeff. Right? They're, they're invisible. Right? Uh, working with musicians and, and uh, tech guys, you know, I said, hey, let me give you a little feedback on, on that. And they're like, no, 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 don't use that word. That's the wrong word to use with the sound man. John the baptizer is the same function. I, I, I don't want you to look at me. I, I want to be invisible. I want to be behind the scenes. And so, uh, John said, here's the one thing God has given me to do was to announce was to make the way clear and I'll do it with all my heart. Here's the application. Let me ask you this. Do you have an accurate self-image based on what God says about you? Do you have a proper understanding of who you are? If someone says to you, well, who are you? What are you? Do you have a proper understanding? What do you believe about yourself? Do you believe the lie that was told to you as a kid growing up that you're a loser and that you'll never amount to anything? Do you believe that you're a winner and you don't need anyone or anything and you've proved it by the way you've lived your life? Or do you believe that you're loved by God, a child of the King, an heir of the kingdom, that you're precious in the sight of God? Do you believe that? Do you believe, as, as John 1 talks about, that you're a child of His? Not, not made by, by human wisdom, but called by God and placed into that special relationship. Do you, do you get that? Do you believe that? Or do you listen to the lies that this world, and maybe even that you've been told? I was a seminary student and uh, going to church down in Southern California, and I, I uh, wanted to make contact with this missionary one day. He was coming from Europe, and I was down there, and I, I called, and we'd never met face-to-face. And so we were just talking. I said, I'll meet you at such and such a place. And he said, oh, how will I know you? I said, oh, I'm, I'm the tall, goofy-looking guy. And I'll never forget, again, just a, just one of those moments. He said, is that really what you believe about yourself? And that question, is that really what you believe about yourself? And I, it just set me back on my heel. What is it that we believe about ourselves? John, John had it clear. I'm a voice. And he felt he was totally fine with that. What is, what is it that God is, what picture, what self-image has God given you about yourself? The third question about identity has to do with action. Third question is, what do your actions say about you? Now, verse 24. Now, when they had, uh, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. If you're not any of those things, any of those messianic, uh, you know, prophetic uh, people, then why are you baptizing? He comes back and he says, well, I'm baptizing with water. Now, we look at that and we kind of go, oh, okay, baptism, great. The thing you need to understand is that he's not the Messiah. Now, the Messiah can come and baptize. Isaiah chapter 52 said, Isaiah had written, he shall sprinkle many nations. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. 
Zechariah says, on that day there will be a fountain open for the house of David. So there's this idea that this cleansing can come. But the way the Jews understood it was, this was something that a non-Jew would do. Somebody who wasn't in the house of Israel could come in by being baptized, by being cleansed. It was, it was very typical. It was regularly practiced by those who came to Judaism from other religions. Males would be circumcised. Families would be baptized together. And so here's John out doing this in the wilderness. Now, what's unique about it? What's unique about it is that John is calling Jews to come and be baptized. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't he know the Scriptures? You bet he knows the Scriptures. What he's doing, what he's saying to them is, you as Jews need to be cleansed. You as Jews need to come into repentance. The book of Mark says that they were coming and that they were repenting and being baptized. How audacious of John. Doesn't he know we're the chosen people? You bet he knows. And he's got this bold message that says, it doesn't matter, you need to come and be cleansed. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but after he... Uh, but he that comes after me shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Again, this is making the way clear. Getting your heart ready to receive what God has for you. John is suggesting the chosen people of God needed to be cleansed. Shattered the common thinking of the Jews. That this was, that the Messiah coming was just for them. That anybody could be cleansed. John's message was God's message with no compromises. The kingdom of God is at hand. did not cater to popular concepts, political formulas, or misunderstood favoritism. It was straight up walk with God. Now imagine what kind of a lifestyle you'd have to have in order to declare that kind of message. John was a Nazarite. Just read about that in my quiet time. It means never shaved his hair. I mean, he took a vow of being totally set apart to God. We read, uh, Dave was talking about how he, he uh, ate locusts and wild honey. Yuck. How he uh, uh, lived in the wilderness, that he wore rough garments. Why? This was to show that he had been set apart to God. So here's the application. Do your actions line up with what God says is true about you? Now again, don't, don't mistake this that somehow I'm earning my, my salvation by being good. Saying, oh, does this mean I've got to eat locusts? No, no, that was John's calling. What does your life look like to line up with what we already know God says about you? And does it? Do the actions of your life, do the way you drive, do the things you do, the way you talk, people you talk to, do the values that you embody, do the way you spend your time, talents, and treasure, do that line up with what God says is true about you? John's identity was not determined by who he knew or what he'd done, but in living out God's will for his life. He did it on a regular basis. John had one message. Turn from sin, turn toward God, and prepare to see the Messiah. In fact, it was such an un, it was so clear in his mind, but the religious leaders missed it. Verse 26, John answered them and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. You won't know him. When he's here, you won't even understand him. He came to his own, but his own received him not. 
Here's the fourth question about your identity. What does Jesus say about you? And what do you say about Jesus? Verse 27. This is what John said. It is He who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Those who came along, they thought they were coming out to see this, this guy Jesus says in Luke chapter 7. Did you come out to see you know, somebody who would kind of blow with the wind? No, you came out to hear a message of truth. And that truth is about me. That's who you came to hear. The critics, those of religious background, he said, oh, you're too intense. Oh, you're misguided. Ah, oh, you know, don't get all excited about that. The tagalongs curious. Oh, hey, what's, what's the next, what's the latest buzz? The searchers, people who were looking, who were on that journey of asking questions but didn't have it all figured out. And then the repentance. Those Matthew 3, those ones who came and said, man, I've got to get my heart right. I know that this isn't all there is to this life. There's more. And John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. The rabbis had a saying, every service that a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher, except loosening his sandal. That was something that was, was too low even for a disciple to do. It was slave work. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. Again, he must increase, I must decrease. Focus off of me. Baptism of Jesus took place, and now, now John has a clear idea of who the Messiah is. Verses 32 and 33 show us that that event had to happen, and it already happened. That event had already happened, and at that time, John got it. Wow, the Spirit's coming down. The dove has descended. John doesn't talk about the voice that came out of heaven. John doesn't talk about any of this, except that just to say, it happened and the lights came on for John. John the baptizer got it at that point in time. And what does he say? Look at verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what we just celebrated here a moment ago. The Lamb of God. That broken body for us. He says again in verse 34, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. John got it. John knew. He saw. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus says about John, "Among born among women, there's none greater than John the baptizer. Wow. Pretty impressive, huh? But then he goes on to say, but the least in the kingdom is greater than him. Wow, that'll put you in your place. Because Jesus was looking beyond that to the wider scope. Not just about this John, but John was just beginning. He was just opening the door for, for the kingdom of God opening up. Jesus says, that's my man. He's the one. He's coming before me. We're, we're working together. So let me ask you these questions then. What do other people say about you? And do you allow that to rule your life? Now listen. It's not like we should totally ignore what people say about us, right? Peter says, let your behavior be excellent among the Gentiles. But if you buy Madison Avenue, if you buy Oak Ridge Mall, if you buy whatever it is that people are going to tell you, then you will be disappointed. Listen to what God says about you. What do you say about you? Are you believing what you've been told in your childhood? 
Are you believing the lies again that, hey, I've got it all wrapped up, I'm all together? Or are you, are you, do you understand what God has to say about you? And what are your actions? What do your actions say about your life, your values, about, about what you say about your identity? Do they come together? And then finally, what does Jesus say about you and what do you say about Him? We're going to see next week where, I don't know if Dave's going to go back over this, 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 this part about, about John saying, Behold the Lamb of God. But now, but now things really begin to explode. The disciples are going to start coming. Andrew's going to come. Peter's going to come. Nathaniel's going to come. These guys are going to start being drawn to Jesus. And part of it is because of John's testimony of what he says about him. So, understanding who Christ is, we talked about that last week, and now understanding how, who you are is critical for your understanding of your identity. And uh, I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment as we, as we wrap up here. Some of you in this room have got it. You understand who Christ is. You understand what His, His, His life and, and death and resurrection mean for you. But you might be struggling in that area of comparing yourselves to other people. You might be wondering about your worth and your identity and your place. Maybe you're between jobs. Maybe your kids are, are uh, wayward. Maybe you're, you're, you're not clear about the future. And all those things begin to make you question who am I? The strong and clear message today I want you to hear is that you are loved by God, a child of His. And, and as you begin to live that out and live like that, you're, you're going to be assailed by the world that's going to try to tell you something else. You need to hear, you need to see the example of John who says, no, I, I know whose I am. And then when that's right, then our actions will flow out of that. Not perfectly every time. It's like Dave said, we come and we wipe the slate clean and we start afresh and anew. And part of what communion does and part of what reading God's Word does and part of what confession does is it realigns ourselves to this hidden kingdom of God that's all around us. Lord, thank You today for the reminder. Thank You for the pretty intense example of, of this guy, John, who struggled just like the rest of us, but Lord, who gave us a great example of walking with You and following You. I pray today, Lord, for my brothers and sisters today who might be waffling some, might be wandering some, might be wondering, do You really love me? Am I really Your child? Can I be assured of, of, of um, my place in Your family? And thank you, God, for the strong encouragement from your word. Thank you for, for reminding us of how much you came and how, how much you cared to come and to die for us. And so we give you praise today, Lord. We give you honor. Thank you for walking with us in the midst of these, these issues and remind us of them in these weeks to come. In Christ's name, amen.